0: there's the contested airspace and Russia is afraid to fly across Ukraine because of man pads and um, a lot of other Western equipment, but that was pretty much it. Thank you, sir.
1: Yeah. I think the battle of Severodonetsk, uh, they lost, uh, you know, uh, on, on the order of 10 to 20 aircraft, right? I mean, that's a huge number of aircraft to lose in a single battle uh, in modern aircraft uh, and they've lost hundreds of aircraft uh, in in the war. So, yeah, it's not. I mean, you, you, at a certain point, you run out of pilots, you run out of uh, uh, aircraft. Yeah, that's it's not a not a good situation uh, for Russia. So hopefully, hopefully they'll run out of air power. We can only hope. Uh, so we'll we'll go ahead and go to Anty now. Anty, go ahead.
2: Thank you. So uh, one of the things I was wondering, we've been uh, discussing the HIMARS for quite a bit now, and it's a very very fantastic conversation. But uh, I was wondering. Uh, when do you guys expect to see evidence of uh, M270s uh, working their uh, similar kind of magic on the ground?
1: Yeah, so as far as we know, we haven't seen any picture proof of M270s on the ground in Ukraine yet. Um and as far as I understand, they have two pods, so basically like one two HIMARS is worth one M270 in terms of their capability to launch. They each each M270 can launch 12 uh, two, two missile pods, 12 missiles total. So, yeah, once they get in the on the ground, uh, we've seen basically what two M270s could do potentially, right? Each, each pair of HIMARS can do what one M270 can do. So I think we, we, we're getting maybe 11 or 12, uh, or sorry, Ukraine is getting. Uh, so hopefully uh, very soon. And in terms of, like, the difference from HIMARS... Uh, CJ said they, they run basically as fast as HiMars on the road. Uh, and they, uh, in terms of operating them, they're basically the same. Uh, it's just a different kind of vehicle frame. Uh, the one thing that does concern me a little bit about HiMars, but I don't know, CJ doesn't seem that concerned about it, is like tracks, right? You have to. You can go deep in the forest, but you have to be careful because you're leaving these tracks. So I guess I'm sure Ukraine has uh, operational security measures to cover up their tracks and things. But uh, that's one thing that I think wheeled vehicles have been very useful for in this war, where you have to uh, be careful of enemy uh, reconnaissance uh, drones that can hit you with artillery and things like that. But, yeah, I think we're all looking forward to the m 270 we are maybe suspecting there's one or two already in country doing their thing, but we can't say for sure. And we have absolutely no picture proof to to, to demonstrate it. Uh, did anyone want to add anything to that? Maybe Portland?
3: No, you covered it, man. You got it.
1: All right. Thank you, Portland. All right. So we'll go to uh, Luis next, I believe. Go ahead, Luis.
3: Hey, good morning, guys. I have a complete different topic. I don't know if you want to continue the discussion. Um or if I go ahead. No, go ahead, Luis. Yeah, go okay. Ahead. I, I have a quick question because I'm just confused right now. I uh, made yesterday a Twitter update. There is uh, some new update uh, that everyone should install. But now I can see there is uh, some kind of a group for the space where you can uh, tweet in the space itself. But I'm missing the blue uh, big plus button where we shared the space. Uh, can you guys?
4: Yeah, there's the arrow, Luis. Uh, if you look at your screen now, there's the arrow. Top right is the red leave button. Then there's three dots, and then there is the arrow, which you may have used in the past to put stuff into the nest. If you click on the button, uh, if it's an iPhone, it says share via That's oh, the okay. context menu point. They made it more complicated, these bastards. So share via click on that, and then it gives you the options which you have on your phone, including Twitter. And therefore, you can then share it on Twitter. So that's okay. right. As a
1: guy who constantly asks people to retweet the space, I'm ashamed to say I didn't know that. So thank you very much for explaining that, Axel. Yeah,
3: but but that's indeed uh, more complicated. It's, that's bad. Um, because you uh, I, I already use that button when I want to share the space with WhatsApp or some, something like that. Um, but to remove the blue plus button, that's bad.
5: Yeah, I'll
1: try to explain it from now on when I tell people to retweet the space. Because you're right, it's a change. So until people get used to it, uh, thank you, Luis. Do you have anything you want to add, Luis? Mike, check Luis. You wanna? I mean, okay. Uh, maybe we'll get back to Luis in a sec. Uh, so we've got. I something think he's, okay? he's
4: probably retweeting via the share button at the moment.
1: Oh right, right. <laughs> that's a good point.
6: Uh, in case this. you lost, Mike, Luis, I moved you down. If you want to come back up, you're more than welcome. Just please re-request. Thank
1: you, finance. Uh, we've got Metal K up. Go ahead. Some... Yeah, I was just
7: waving to respond to your mic check. Um, so on the topic of off-the-wall questions, uh, nutrition and morale in the Russian troops, um, they uh, have this reputation of being alcoholics. But I know that their troops are normally the younger people who wouldn't have so much of a problem with it. But um, – you're joking about poison biscuits before. Could it be as simple as is nutrition, just uh, leaving around a lot of high, high fructose corn syrup and things that would set off if they really are alcoholics, it would, it would just ruin them. If that's what they kept running into was like MREs that were specifically designed to be full of high fructose corn syrup and other things that would be bad for a diabetic. And it's not, you know, like poisoning them. We're not technically poisoning them. We're just giving them crap food.
1: Oh, so... There were stories early in the war, so I don't know how long this lasted. I don't think it's still in effect, but when Kiev was like under direct attack, there was a basically a blanket ban on alcohol, and uh, you know the alcohol was kind of locked up, and uh, there were reports that there was poisoned alcohol. Like, if, if Russians were going into a town, they would loot the alcohol, and uh, some of them drank alcohol and got poisoned. Then uh, there were also cases uh, sort of Sort of legends, but as far as I understand, fairly verifiable legends uh, that uh, you know old women would offer uh, pelmeni, like dumplings, or other uh, you know foods to uh, occupiers, and uh, they'd be poisoned. And uh, you know maybe they wouldn't all die, but they would be like eight to sixteen Russians hospitalized. So uh, certainly, uh, you know there have been attempts to uh, poison uh, the Russians. I think the concern with any kind of uh poisoning or or things like that you know it's something i think about like what if we put a bomb in every washing machine right but it's like this is ukraine's land like they've got to take it back and you don't want to have like uh, booby traps on your own land if you can help it um you know so i think that's maybe part of the the reticence but you know we've seen uh, uh poisonings and other types of uh, uh attempts to to get on that way as far as like uh you know, a master plan, a 3D chess plan to, to exacerbate diabetes. I don't know about that, but uh, I think maybe alcohol. Uh, there might be a. Uh, I, I would, I would, I would venture to guess that a Ukrainian commander somewhere has said leave the alcohol in the village and let them get drunk and then we'll attack them. You know
7: what I mean? And I've yeah. heard, I've heard a lot of jokes about that. And so that's what I'm kind of playing on is because somebody else was like, they're going to get the alcohol one way or the other on their own. They're going to raid the alcohol and be drinking it be drunk as they're going through destroying shit also. And so that's already kind of assumed, but if it's exacerbated because everybody took all the regular food and only left the high sugar shit, then that high sugar shit would be like poison to them.
6: I I think you're overrating just how problematic high sugar stuff is, especially when a lot of the Russians are relatively young where they don't have the health issues that have kicked in yet. And, uh, you know, if, uh, you're Russian and say your army doesn't give a flying frog about you and they haven't provided you with enough food in the first place. Um, you're just as likely to be feeding near starving Russians by giving them crappy food because crappy food beats the living daylights out of, no food, which is a it's high energy food, yeah. yeah, which is a distinct possibility if you're Russian, you're near the front lines, and uh supply depots keep getting blowing up and or there are partisan or special forces operations uh going on that keep interdicting any sort of supply routes you know, and your army is known for having bad logistics, so I think that the better thing would just be to blow up all the food that isn't alcohol or poisoned, and then watch them do stupid things
1: yeah i think i think uh finance brings up a good point there like it's in terms of like you know this the, the, the diabetic or the energy thing but there is like a search for calories right like there are there have been situations in this war where the russians have run out of food and uh or they've decided we want to go get drunk and they go into a village to loot and they wind up uh uh you know surrounded by uh ukrainian tdf right uh and so there is this search for calories uh, on the Russian side, and sometimes it gets them captured uh, or it makes them uh, combat ineffective at the very least. They're not doing their job, which is, you know, shelling Ukrainian villages or hospitals when they're busy looking for food and water. Right. So it's an important aspect of, of the war is to try to deprive them of calories and uh, and fresh water. Uh, so, yeah. So not to be overlooked. Uh, thanks. Back to you, finance.
6: So bringing up Herm had given a request. Let's see if you can actually make it all the way up here. Um welcome to the space. Do you have any questions for the panel? You're up, sir. Or ma'am.
2: Uh thanks, finance. Yeah, actually, I actually do have a question. Um so I've been off for two or three weeks from the space and uh, uh we're still following closely the uh, uh arrival of the high Mars systems and the MRLS from the uh Western
3: uh,
2: allies to Ukraine and the um quite nice impact it had on the Russian logistics. Um question I had is a little bit um, convoluted so um, so, layman person like I myself I was expecting to uh, see an impact of the MRLS systems, the HIMARS and the M270s, uh, being like, uh, okay, a denial of Russian artillery, <clears throat> hitting Russian artillery positions in, in large. So, whenever they build up a... A shooting position they're going to be taken out. <clears throat> and, and of course, it's way more important for Ukrainians to hit the high value uh, logistics train and the command structures uh, of the Russians. Um, but when can we expect that to happen that the, <clears throat> the Ukrainians actually have free themselves? Um, of uh, too much pressure from the logistics chain of the Russians and go ahead and and take out the artillery units, uh, which then uh, consequently would allow their own mil- military and to have the upper hand on the battlefield. Is there um, some sort of lack of ammunition or is this just a time issue that would be two, three, four weeks from now or is this not going to happen?
1: Okay, so really good questions. Uh, A lot lot to unpack. Uh, So we'll start with uh, maybe the difference between destroying the ammo depots and directly destroying the artillery system. So there is a concept in artillery combat, and first off, I should say I'm not an expert, but we do have uh, a contributor here, CJ, who is an artillery uh, uh, battery commander, and uh, he comes on a lot. He explains this stuff, so I'll just kind of, like, repeat uh, some CJ CJ knowledge. Uh, So... Counter-battery fire, as far as I understand, is being taken care of primarily by the systems like Caesar and uh, Panzer Howitzer. These are really good systems for counter-battery fire. They're quick. They're capable. They have very good range. And so they're the type of system you want when Russia shoots an artillery round. They have something called counter-battery radar. They can tell where the shells coming from. They can very quickly drive up the Caesars. These are like wheeled vehicles or tracked vehicles, in the case of the Panzer Howitzer. So they can very quickly drive the artillery um, with good range and shoot it. They outrange the enemy artillery and they destroy it. So that's uh, one thing that's happening. The problem is, um, you know, we just aren't seeing like huge numbers of these Panzer Howitzers and Caesars yet. We're seeing more come. Um, France is promising more. Uh, Germany is promising more. But, uh, you know, it's going to take time. And uh, we're not quite seeing the scale we would need for, like, serious counter-battery fire from these types of systems. That said, um, the m 7s I'm sure, are also engaged in counter-battery fire. Now, when it comes to destroying the ammunition depots, the primary way that those have been destroyed so far has been the Tochka missiles. Uh, these are Ukraine's—Ukraine uh, made this missile. Um, Portland's described it before. It's kind of an interesting missile. But suffice it to say, it seems like they focused on designing it around bypassing Russian air defense, and they did a really good job. That was, like, the main point of it. Other than that, it's, like, not a super impressive missile, but it manages to get past a lot of Russian air defense in a really impressive way. And so they've been using their stockpile of Tochkas because the HIMARS is now here in theater, and that means that they have the HIMARS uh, to use to destroy other targets. It's basically similar to the Tochkin range and capability. So, so they've been hanging on to their Tochka missiles because that's like the only strategic weapon they had if they needed a strategic weapon to use. And now they've got HIMARS, so they said, okay, we can use our Tochkas, let's blow up all the ammunition depots. As far as like when will that result in a critical failure of the Russian uh, logistics system, we're not entirely sure. Um, they have a lot of ammunition. Um, I think probably just because of the sheer volume of ammunition that the Soviet Union made, Um, It might be better to think in terms of like this slowing them down than completely stopping them. But slowing down could result in like a changing of momentum in terms of, I mean, you know, Ukraine's not just going to sit around while Russia is stalled completely by a logistics collapse, a temporary logistics collapse. But um, one thing about the Russian logistics system, it's very inefficient, right? Every shell comes in a crate. You've got to move all these crates. You need a lot of arms to move all this stuff around. Um, it's relatively efficient on the trains, I guess, but uh, you know you still gotta you gotta drag all this stuff around and so uh, uh, I guess the the long story short to say, as of right now we we don't there's no there's no concrete failure point in sight for their logistics system, but, it's all this is slowing them down and it might slow them down to the point where the Ukrainian military has opportunities to maneuver in a way that will result in uh, serious Ukrainian uh, victories or counterattacks in the near future. Um, Axel, did you want to add anything to that or Portland? Uh, but maybe we'll start with Axel and if not Axel.
4: Yeah, I think Portland you have to raise again, but uh, yes, I mean, very, very well summarized. Thank you. Uh, it's helpful. Oh, I can add two or three points to this <clears throat> The first one is that those ammunition dumps and depots included maintenance facilities. This is the second echelon where they replace artillery tubes. So not only have they hit those nine ammunition depots, but at least three of them included maintenance facilities. As a consequence, uh, they can't replace the tubes they're shooting out so quickly. Currently, they have anywhere between 500 and 800 rounds, and then they have to replace the tubes. That's how much the Russian artillery is degrading itself by firing as much as they do. They've been shooting shooting up to 60,000 rounds a day, sometimes obviously different days, you know, different shooting regimes, but still. And they've been trying to swap every single civilian Mm -hmm. building they can get hold of in order to gradually move forward and take territory. Now, this is why they've laid waste to Severodnetsk. This is why they've started to lay waste to Zychansk, and they've been now drawn out. So they're currently moving further away from their existing supply chain. As they're moving away and moving forward, because the Ukrainians have uh, yet again practiced a fantastic <laughs> methodical delay. This is what most people, uh, yeah, how should we put this? Most journalists in Europe, in Western Europe, are utterly incompetent when it comes to military strategy. That is a consequence of their general lack of education in this, in this field, and that's fine. I mean, it's obviously bad for communication with the public. But then again, the public does fortunately include a lot of military veterans, at least in those countries who've been fighting for freedom in recent decades. Now, that obviously excludes to a large extent the French and excludes to a large extent the Germans because they haven't done so. But others have contributed more to NATO missions and i have seen this. However, we have no force-on-force conflict where the U.S. Army or the British Army had to fight a delay this is, however, something which has been uh, trained extremely well, and people do understand it in certain areas. one had to practice this in the past, and uh, executing it is extremely difficult. The Ukrainians have shown how to do this in Lizachsk. They have done this in an excellent manner, meaning not only saving their precious troops, which is for, which is something completely different than what the Russians do, but by doing so, they have forced the Russians to move forward and therefore uh, say, leave their previous positions, advance gradually, and now having to mount their artillery in different places. So they have to build new revetments, and that gives us, in the West, and therefore also Ukraine, new new signals intelligent, which we can raise by means of spotting them through satellites as well as drones, and therefore different new hit points. At the same time, they cannot move their supply depots as easily because they don't have as much trucking capacity whilst we are taking out their trucking capacity and the existing supply. So that slows down their artillery component in moving forward, which bodes well for the Ukrainian counterattack. And one more thing has to be highlighted. What Ukraine has done in Severodonetsk is absolutely bloody marvellous in terms of tactics. They have treated the enemy five to one. They have lost anywhere between 800 and 850 men and women, but have attracted more than 4,900 Russian soldiers. Let that say. This is something which Russia cannot sustain, especially as they're hitting not just um, cannon fodder, but they're hitting NCOs, officers, junior officers, mechanized troops, and the likes. And they've been hitting a lot of supply trucks, amongst them a lot of ammunition trucks, and a number of artillery pieces already. This now increases, and with the long-range artillery kicking in and taking out, and that's item number two, kicking out further to the second line, they have to move their command posts back, respectively, keep them at the back whilst their troops advance, which makes communication worse, and they're using different communication tools as a consequence, which gives us, yet again, better intelligence and then less uh, leadership information And the Germans call Führungsspanne, meaning the amount of people you have to guide at any given point in time, does increase because your troops are further allocated forward and you have to pass the information different way. And therefore their command vehicles will also be traveling a lot more because they can't rely on their comms. And they will have to have more comms out in the open yet again, because whenever they have a problem, they resort to comms in the open, which gives us more access to target information, more relevant information as to how to kill their officers and therefore be able to take out more relevant stuff. And the third item is that with uh, the high mass in place in the M270s, the concentration of fire on these uh, maintenance depots for deep strikes is the one which we've been advocating, and this includes camps. And as you can see today, the high mass system is already making itself felt at legitimate targets inside Russia, where it belongs. And um, as uh, Portland said a little earlier... As soon as we have Atacams in theater, you will see a lot of deep strikes onto targets which up until recently have been completely, utterly unassailable from a Ukrainian point of view. There is a good reason why the Russians on the day when America stated that it would deliver high mass and ammunition without stating what ammunition which is a change in, by the way, communication. It's a very substantial change, which very few people, seemingly in Europe, have really caught up on other than the English press. That means that they started their chaff at the Kirch Bridge a few hours after this was published, because they are getting worried, and they know what's going to happen when Atacams are in theatre. That bridge is tough. And Europeans need to read up on Atacams and what kind of a beautifully silly weapon it is.
1: For a listening audience, CJ told me it's a Takums, and I believe him. And i ah, just want bloody proud. St- I had this discussion with
4: General Ben Hodges, and he's, of course, always right. He said a Takums. <laughs> I know, but he's a southerner, a very, very gentle.
1: But yeah, I just want to keep it straight for our audience. Like, I think Portland actually says the letters sometimes or something. So, I just want to make sure everyone understands. Like, these are all yeah, the same. Port- Portland is, is migrating. Yeah, yeah.
4: Portland is migrating
2: into the, uh, say, Pacific twang. I don't know. <laughs> does Kentucky even count as the South? I'm not sure.
4: <laughs> well, uh, the okay, so- station. Uh, uh, well, Kentucky does does have two parts to it. You're right. But then again, um, how should I put this? Uh, general Hodges has been in the South for quite some time. And if you listen to his twang, uh, beautiful as it is, it, it discloses it very quickly. Yes. And he's of course, right. I mean, he's the general.
1: That's right. Uh, okay. So we'll go to Luis. We lost Luis earlier, so I want to uh, let him finish. Luis, go ahead.
3: Uh, hey guys. No, I, you are in a good conversation. I don't want to disturb that. Just, uh, um, actually check your DMs. I, I wrote you something. I think we should do that. Uh, and um, just one one quick thing um it's also something different but it's absolutely important because we discussed it uh, yesterday here in the space and people <clears throat> are still asking um what what to do i just read uh, a tweet from oliver carroll um he's, um correspondent for The Economist Uh, and he wrote he was uh, in Krivi recently up for internally uh, displaced persons uh, fleeing from uh, Kherson occupation and the council of uh, Kherson is providing services to 60,000 internally displaced persons Um, but the UN which started working in the city a month ago um Yeah, three months into the conflict has provided 40 beds only, 40. And the the Red Cross is still assessing. So we discussed it yesterday. I said also uh, you donate one euro, one dollar, and you don't know how much it will get to the ground in Ukraine. uh, Red Cross uh, wasn't able to uh, redirect what you donated to the ground now now it is still assessing and but they were you,
4: right on target and very quickly at the say at the entrances to the filtration camps right uh,
3: absolutely but uh, where is the work on the ground where are the beds that the people need where are the the tents to to so they they can sleep from the red cross there is none well
4: as long as russian soldiers manning the filtration camps get uh, say soups delivered that's fine isn't it
3: yeah, indeed. Um, and as long as the president of Red Cross gets nice pictures, Mr. Bavrov laughing in the Kremlin, it's uh, everything okay. Uh, but uh, like we well, were. That's an
4: organization s- which should simply be told to either go fucking home and leave Russia and all that shit alone. Or, well, maybe, maybe be delisted from an organization, at least its arms there in Europe, be delisted from those entities which uh, the free world likes to see in conflict zones. There needs to be a swift and very, very hard change and tack in that organization.
3: Indeed. But I also think that we have to keep telling people that... uh, Because also in my family, there are many people uh, that are donating, and the first thing that I hear is Red Cross, and I keep telling them do not donate to big organizations because uh, 50 70% of what you are donating is going to the paychecks of those people that uh, are driving with uh, private jets around and stuff like that. So, search for a registered uh, small uh, volunteer. Uh, guided uh, NGO uh, be assured that 100% of what you are donating is getting to the ground and they are buying stuff that the Ukrainians really need on the ground like tourniquets um, and you you are doing the right thing um, I, I, I'm i not going to work uh, working 10 and 12 hours a day to uh, donate something that is going to, to a paycheck of, of someone that I
4: uh, Who shakes hands with Lavrov and Putin.
3: Indeed, yes. So um, that's for that. Um, keep it in mind. So that
4: also means don't give any money to Mr. Scholz or don't give any money to Monsieur Macron because they love to shake hands with the guy.
3: Indeed. Go to maria Aid, volunteer, guided NGO, registered, officially registered, not... Uh, um, something just uh born from the ground or or uh illegal, it is registered. Um, and 100% of what you are donating is getting to the ground, so that's what uh, uh the most important thing uh you have to be assured of. And uh, you are doing the right thing. And now I, I, I will step down and uh, please continue the conversation, it was very interesting.
1: Thank you, Luis. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's uh, we're we're currently uh, fundraising right now for a thousand tourniquets, so we're very close to our goal. So anyone who wants to uh, help out and donate to Maria Aid uh, right now, uh, these tourniquets really will uh, save lives. So if uh, you guys want to help out, we appreciate it. Uh, if anyone has any questions, uh, feel free to come up and raise your hand. Uh, we always appreciate you guys coming up and asking the panel questions. Uh, So with that, we'll go to John. John, go ahead.
8: Thank you. Uh, Two just very brief points. One, I wasn't intending to make. Um, But I've worked a lot in the Middle East with some Red Cross guys, and they were absolutely superb. Um, I understand the context is entirely different in Ukraine, um, and I'm not supporting the way the organization has behaved there. But, you know, uh, I'm certainly uncomfortable with the entire organization being damned because... I've seen some very brave guys take some very big risks and get some really good results. Fully um,
4: totally agreed. Fully totally agreed. John.
8: Um, but on the 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 second thing I was going to say, it was just just a very small point, and in response to Axel, I don't think we'll see the Kerch Bridge go until the Ukrainians are watering their horses in the Sea of Azov. To be honest, um, because if you if we if they hit it too early and drop it too early they incentivize those forces those russian forces within what constitutes the land bridge to crimea um, to fight much harder and also incentivize the russians to reinforce that Um, it would be it would be better to cut that cut that land access route first before dropping the bridge because they they then don't have the opportunity to reorientate their logistical efforts and their own forces um, in order to try and protect that land bridge to Crimea, so I, I think it will go certainly but i don't think it will go imminently
1: it's not easy to blow up a bridge that's one thing i've learned here uh if i've learned anything on the walter report <laughs> no, i'm just kidding uh, but yeah it's 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 going to be tough but uh you know i i trust our boys i didn't expect any of uh, any of these refineries or uh, fuel depots to be on fire either you know i'm just saying but I agree with you, John. It's, you're, you're absolutely right that it's not going to be an easy task. Russia has a lot of air defense there, and you know we we often we see the results when 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 they successfully bypass the air defense. But sometimes you know they do shoot set down. You know, it's, it's something to keep. Thank you uh, for your input, John. We'll go to Herm now. Go ahead, Herm.
2: Uh, yeah, cutting. Uh, so regarding the Crimea bridge, I mean, cutting off anything that the Russians have, um, being the bridge or anything else, and whatever comes first is. Um, well, as long as they cut it off, it's probably be a good thing. That's what I believe. Um, so I had to, I a follow question to my um, previous comment. So I, I, I see the point of uh, taking out the logistics of taking out all the ammunitions of those um, uh, Russian invaders, um, and it's a high priority for them. Using Toshka use and HIMARS and whatever not, they uh, now in the Glorious situation where they can just expand their Toshkas for um, whatever they seem fit and use the High Mars on top of that, and they do a really marvelous job of that. Um, in the end, uh, they're going to force the Russians to do what the Ukrainians were forced to do um, months ago is basically spread out their logistics, having smaller and smaller stockpiles in more and more uh, remote locations and um, ha- having forcing them to pay attention to the detail of uh, having all those separate um, locations supplying a front line. Um, which they cannot do because they don't have the tracking capacity. um well, you, well, the Ukrainians don't have a really great. Uh, truck Ukraine has to them Ukraine. Both.
4: That's not true. That is not true. We've delivered them six hundred fifty trucks. Really?
2: Yes.
1: Well, 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 I, to I say, too, right? Russia has a very top down command structure. And I think it's a big open question whether or not they're capable of creating a decentralized logistics system. Um, they're used to, for example, just stacking a bunch of artillery shells in an expo center
2: and then Ukraine blows it up. Uh, but sorry, I'll let you finish your point. Uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I believe the Ukrainians are much more capable of doing that than the Russians are. But uh, in the end, um, is. Uh, so what I was looking for, seeking for in terms of um, acknowledgement or um, comment is w- when will this thing tip? Uh, in terms of it's an artillery war, it's an artillery duel. And um, the Russians had m- much of an upper hand in Donbass for months, and, and there was a lot of casualties in Ukraine's Ukrainian side, and they <laughs> they did a good fight. They spent a lot and lot and lot of lives and resources to, to keep the Russians at bay. Um, but when will be the tripping point coming in? And how much more, I, mean, so I believe that they, those couple, those few high systems, they just need more ammunition to be way more effective. So um, you can reload those things in, in a matter of a, a few hours. I mean, one hour or two, I, I guess, and can fire again. But they, they, they don't do that because they, um, I don't know why they don't do that. But um my guess is that this is The loading trucks. It's, it's operational
4: security. The loading trucks for the HIMARS system are equally important and equally valuable. So you have to be careful with it. But the, the M270s will change that picture. Portland?
5: Oh, um, so um, the first thing that is just the easiest to answer is um, uh, it actually takes about five minutes to reload HIMARS it's 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 a really fast system the reloading truck will drop a pod load a new pod um and you're motoring in in about five minutes 10 minutes if you're feeling kind of lazy um where is going to be the tipping point well the problem with this is that Russia is kind of trying to eat their cake and have it too. Um, They're conducting this shadow mobilization, um, and they are bringing people in. They're giving them the absolute bare minimum of training. Um, They're sending them to the front lines and essentially using them as... I mean, it's, 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 it's a, a really heart-wrenching waste of human life, but they're sending waves of conscripts forward, basically to find targets for artillery. And um, it's atrocious. And um, I think it's a level of self-defeating depravity that a lot of Western commentators, me included, kind of didn't see coming we we always knew that the the Russians were capable of, of absolutely shocking levels of of inhuman barbarity um anybody that uh that watched Grozny go down uh knows that the leopard has not changed his spots right um but i don't think we saw it coming that they would be that cold-blooded um And I think a lot of us were quite surprised that the Russian population appears content to go along with it, which is a little bit confusing. Um, So Russia is settling down for a long war. Um, the, The question of when is the tipping point going to come? I think that's really a question of, of two things. Um, the West has battle-winning, war-winning, decisive weapons in its arsenal that it can supply to Ukraine. The the Americans could deploy Atacams um, and essentially cut off the Russian army in Ukraine from any hope of resupply. Um, and that would be that uh the west could get more coherent and joined up on the sanctions front which is kind of finances arena uh more than it is mine um yes readers listeners there are things that i don't understand international finance and sanctions is one of them um until that happens it's basically a meat grinder and as long as ukraine is killing 3 to 5 russians for every ukrainian that dies then they are then they are winning that attritional war but it is a gut wrenching way to win a war it's that's not the way you want to do it if you can avoid it just you don't want to do it, it is better for everyone. It is better for Russia if we end the war tomorrow, so I don't see a tipping point coming anytime soon um unless there are moves being made that I don't have any visibility. Thank you, Portland. Why don't we go to a museum next museum
1: go ahead
9: yeah, hi. It was just um on the point of the Kerch bridge which comes up and like everybody, I'd like to see that dropped ultimately. but I, I really can't see that happening until after Ukraine has cleared and regained the the whole of the Crimea. Uh, I mean my demolitions tra- explosive demolitions training was fairly basic, but you know when you're dealing with bridge demolitions and you're just uh, hitting the bridge with explosive you know on the deck or on the supports. You've got to deliver. You've got to use tons at a time. I mean, certainly the British Army was often talking of truckloads of shells, and you know, past their best munitions with some PE to do it. So, and that, and it was accepted that in some cases that was really just going to be, uh, you know, what they call stripping the deck, stripping the concrete cover off the reinforced steel. So, I, I just feel that if you're expecting missiles that are only carrying, you know, perhaps 100 or 2 200 kilograms of explosives to drop a bridge you know it's going to need something really very clever and I truly can't see it happening I mean I've, I've worked with civil engineers for much of my career and bridges are pretty robust and and it's to me it's an improbable amount of explosive that would be needed I mean others may know better but uh, I think you're just going to have to wait until Ukraine has regained Crimea I think it could be possible to disrupt and deny the use of the bridge potentially you know with uh, you know it would certainly focus the mind a lot you could scatter munitions, perhaps, but uh, I can't see it being much more than that. But that's really my, my thoughts on that.
1: I'll let uh, Portland follow up on that. Go ahead, Portland.
5: Oh, let's go through the hands before I get into that one, because that one's going to take a while. All right, no problem. We'll go to Herm first. Go ahead, Herm.
1: Uh, let's skip one, please. <laughs> no problem. Uh, Liberal, go ahead.
0: Hey, Joseph. Um, I think Commander Farrar, the Navy uh, Co Team 6 commander said it, but um, you can launch munitions at a bridge. A bridge by nature is fortified. It's metal. Um, you'd have to hit it um, several times to actually, you know, create damage. But he said, if you ask me to create havoc, I could show you how I can twist the train track into a pretzel. And the whole idea is it's not necessarily that you need to take down the bridge. It's that you need to somehow incapacitate the train tracks that are uh, going over the bridge. And um, I think that we're losing sight of this idea that somehow we're going to, like, launch a high Mars or a brimstone at the Kirch Bridge. Um, That may very well happen, but you can still disable the transport of of military equipment by disabling the train tracks, the actual tracks, and not necessarily take out the bridge. Thank
1: you, Liberal. Uh, We'll go to Portland next. Uh, Portland, uh, we're ready for your long explanation
5: about the Kerch Bridge. Go ahead. Okay. So (sighs) taking out fortified structures like bridges is never... A matter of attacking the structure itself. You attack the foundation of the structure. Um, specifically, you drop a heavy ground-penetrating munition um, as close to the base of the structure as you can, without hitting reinforced concrete. That uh, munition then buries itself—you know, sixty, hundred feet down into packed earth and clay and detonates. And if you've got a very large payload of explosives on the order of 2,000 pounds of TNT, which is, um, you know, about what Atacams can do when you figure in um, RE factor, detonation, velocity, prisons, and so on and so forth, um, then you create a cavern and that cavern tends to destabilize the soil for a very large uh distance in all directions and if you look at um the u-boat pens in particular on the coast of france which were subject to attack with tall boy munitions the structures are all there they're still intact they're just falling sideways into a goddamn cap. Well, you do that at the base of one of the uh, pillars uh, uh, holding up the Kirch Strait Bridge. Um, that pillar's going to come down, and that bridge is going to come down with it. Actually, I think you'd need to bring four of those pillars down, so you would probably need 12 Atacams to pull that off. Um, bringing, bringing that kind of structure down is not trivial, um, it certainly can't be done with combat swimmers or anything ridiculous like that. But if you have the right kind of munition, it certainly can be done.
4: Maybe it's a good time- Don't you think uh, that would be Portland, quite a protracted, could... long effort? But to... no, no, can ha- Sorry, one one second. Portland, because our friend from way down under, if I may say so, has not uh, listened to the uh, uh, segments when we were extolling the virtues of the destabilizing efforts, uh, which can be undertaken by the Atacams or Atacams, when digging deep into the ground and what it means for the um, pillars of such a bridge and what they can do when you hit the entrances to the bridge, the on-ramps.
5: museum were you gonna put anything in there?
9: No, no, I mean, I'm i i guess i'm I'm aware you can attack the abutments you can attack the piers it's just an awful lot of high
5: precision uh three meters cep two thousand pounds of tnt equivalent warhead and it comes in doing somewhere between mach 4.85 and like mach 5.65 very very hard to intercept very accurate big payload very, very robust um, uh, missile body, so it penetrates ground well. This is actually more or less exactly what the Atacams missile was designed to do. Like, this is 100% in Atacams' wheelhouse. Now, Ukraine doesn't have Atacams right now, but if there was a will in the corridors of power in Washington... To see this done it could be done by thursday that's that's kind of where i'm gonna and
4: and i'm sorry just, this is uh, funny that you say uh, this because okay. we thought we thought that it would be done by the 4th of july as a little bit of fireworks
5: <laughs> i wish
4: the and announcement The uh, sorry the announcement by the uh, minister uh, by, by the dod and by the uh, mod was prior to that actually the announcement uh, was written in the night from Wednesday to Thursday, that high mass and ammunition were to be delivered. Typically, these announcements come after things have been done.
1: And I sure. just for audience, uh, the, in terms of uh, uh, first off, I, I call it attackums because CJ told me that's attackums. But there seems to be a British uh, thing where it's attackams if you're British, but uh, maybe, maybe maybe I'm misreading that. But just just for audience, in terms of why it's so powerful, right? In my understanding, it's a strategic missile. It can be launched from very far away. It can be launched from the HIMARS. So normally the HIMARS is a rocket pod, but it has this uh, capability where they can put a single missile on it, the ATACAMS missile, and it can fire, and it buries itself into the ground. It was designed mainly to take out bunkers, if I understand. And so uh, a target like the Kerch Bridge, um, you know, Portland's saying, you'd you'd need a lot of them to bypass the air defense, but if you hit it, it would bury itself in the ground, it would blow up, and and that would cause such damage that the structure of the bridge itself would fail. Whereas a lot of other weapon systems would maybe just damage the surface, this is one weapon system that specifically could could potentially destroy the, its structural integrity. Would you say that's correct, Portland?
5: Yeah, in a nutshell, that's correct. I, you know, getting into... Um... Like the first three times i I broke down the uh the um the exact um, capabilities and effects it was pretty entertaining, but like uh short version is uh big heavy missile uh bury self deep go boom make cavern bridge fall
1: amen to that and you know i mean. That's definitely something we're looking looking out for, right? If we ever see the word attackums in any aid package, uh, we we here at the Walter Report think that'll be a, a major turning point in the war. Same with HIMARS, right? And you guys remember, for weeks we were like HIMARS, HIMARS, HIMARS is going to change the game. And you can see already uh, two command posts down, and and there's more of these systems coming in. So uh, yeah, keep on the lookout for attackums. It's going to be or cams if you're uh, uh, like Axel in Portland. Uh, same system. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's an important system. So, just I guess some quick housekeeping, guys. Uh, Walter Report, all this expertise, right? Portland and Axel—they they served in militaries. They, it took them a long time to develop all these skills and expertise that they're 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 sharing with you right now. And uh, they do it all for free on the Walter Port because uh, we support Maria Aid. Uh, Maria Aid's a charity where 100% of your donations go to helping. Uh, procure supplies for Ukrainians and right now uh, we're trying to get a thousand tourniquets together and we're very close to our goal so if everyone can uh, hop over to Maria aid uh, pitch in what you can we'd really appreciate it Uh, if you guys have any questions for our panel of experts uh, please come on up uh, raise your hand we'd be happy to take your questions and last but not least please uh, retweet and like the space and do all that stuff spread the word about the waltz report Uh, we like to have lots of listeners and uh, we you know we're nothing without you guys so uh Come on up, talk, uh, spread the word about the Walter Report. Thanks, and uh, back to you, Axel. Yeah, and I just
4: wanted to highlight, because Walter was kind enough to send it to me, that 3 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, uh, we will have Daria Kalianuk Kalianuk joining us, an absolute pro in this field, and uh, she's very prolific on Twitter, and I would suggest you all to check her out beforehand. There will be an invitation card being sent out from the water report account a little later today, I take it by our friend Tyler. And uh but three PM Eastern time on Wednesday, make a knot in your hanky or wherever you store your information.
0: Thank you, Axel. Liberal, go ahead. Hey, thanks, Joseph. Thanks, Axel. Um just to reiterate, you don't have to knock out the Kirch bridge. You just not you need to knock out the tracks, the train track. Um but that said, um, it would be great personally for me if i would be selfish if we could get uh camille galive on this space uh he is a very informed um uh individual and i don't know if axel perhaps has uh any relation with him but i'm going to reach out to him and try to get him on the space because uh, his threads are are phenomenal
1: thank you liberals sorry axel Uh, you you got you want to go ahead axel Okay, I guess that's a no. So uh, right now we've got uh, no hands up, so we got a, a little lull here. Uh, already plugged uh, Maria Aid, already told everyone to retweet and everything, so that's normally what I do during a lull. So I'll just say it again, guys. Uh, if you want to come up and uh, ask any questions for our panel, uh, that'd be great. Uh, I don't know, I haven't really uh, checked the news lately. It's been all about the strikes. We've been really interested in these strikes. Uh, but it seems like we've pretty much covered uh, all the information that came out about them so far. Uh, I don't think any new information is forthcoming as of now. Uh, Axel, yeah, you got anything uh, in terms of uh, new developments aside from these uh, recent strikes? I think Ax is a little busy here. Well, if anyone uh, yeah, wants just, to come up. I'm just uh, play,
4: playing with uh, different messenger systems at the same time as things are coming in. There's a lot of good news as the donations to Maria Aid and the ongoing funding drive for the So, But uh, we're making progress. I, I, I haven't been able to review further data. I'll, we'll do so in the next hour. I presume we'll have a number of our chaps come up. And I uh, understand that Imperius is currently lurking, so he should uh, be in a position within about an hour so to give us an update as to what happened during the morning, the European morning.
1: Okay, thank you, Axel. Yeah, no worries. Um, okay, we've got uh, Sojo up. Go ahead, Sojo.
0: Sojo?
3: Oh, oh God! I just fell. Hang on. Oh my God. I know. Oh,
0: ha- no. Hang on. Make sure you're okay.
1: All right, we'll we'll come back to you, Sojo. I hope you're. I hope you're all right. I hope everyone's all right on the Waltz Report. Don't. Uh, everyone, be careful when you're uh, you're using the space.
3: <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> I just I just
3: tripped over <laughs> a bloody curb because I was trying to unmute the mic, and I wasn't looking where I was going. Okay. Um, I've only just uh, logged on. Uh, I've missed all the news on the um, on the strikes. Is it possible to have just a very, very short resume of the strikes without going into any details? Um, or, or has the subject yeah, yeah, yeah. been... Okay, so, okay, thank you.
1: So I'll try to make it quick. There were three strikes. Uh, one was on uh, Melitopol, which is uh, occupied Ukrainian territory. One was on uh, Belgorod, I believe. Uh, uh, someone will correct me if I was wrong about that. And one is in uh, Kursk. Uh, hopefully, that's all correct. And uh, the, the the gist is, we think it's HIMARS. Uh, we could, you know, it's, it's not proven yet 100, percent but uh, the fact that the the evidence points to HIMARS, and that would indicate that you know they're starting to use HIMARS on Russian targets inside Russia, fairly deep inside Russia, and you know, so it's a big deal in terms of the strategic situation as well as in terms of, I guess, like, the diplomatic situation or whatever you want to call it. Like, um, but the, the, the headline here is, like, major targets in Russia are being struck. Uh, probably one of them is a fuel depot. Uh, that seems to be pretty clear. As far as the other targets, we're not sure. But um, as Portland says, big secondaries, meaning uh, whatever they blew up, blew up a lot more. So that's, like, fuel or am- uh So, yeah, it's uh, good news. Uh, we're very pleased with uh, these strikes. And uh, all indications, we've, we've really dissected in, in granular detail. It seems like high Mars, but uh, we, we can't say that with 100% certainty. So uh, did that, that answer your question, Sojo? Do you have any it, uh, follow-up? It, it does.
3: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Did I get the uh, cities right, uh, Portland or Axel, uh, if anyone wanted to correct me on the cities?
5: Yeah, you got them right. Um, they hit a bunch of supply depots, a transformer station... Uh, looks like two command posts in the vicinity of Melitopol uh, Belgorod looks like it was a fucking laugh riot because um, the, it seems like the Russian air defenses um, uh, blew up at least one of their own houses which is hilarious uh, there was a very big boom um, so Jury's still out on that one, and we have uh, really, really limited information about what the hell is going on at Uh So, so that's what we know so far.
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good synopsis. Uh, so, uh,
2: we'll leave it there. Uh, Herm, go ahead. All right, uh, back to the hammers. Um, so, the hammers are pretty effective, from what I can tell. Uh, right now, what s What questions me?